Hello, I'm Abe Martinez. I am the director of photography for Obliterated Season 1, and you're listening to Obliterated Companion. Welcome back to another episode of Obliterated Companion. I'm Peter. And you guys, this is this is going to be a fun one. Um, I've never spoken to anybody in his craft before. And so this is going to be uh, a bit of a learning lesson for me. So joining me is Director of Photography for uh, Obliterated Season 1 and also the upcoming uh, Cobra Kai Season 6, last and final season, Abraham Martinez. How are you doing, sir? Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you for, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I'm glad that we've been able to finally get a schedule down. Uh, we've we've been in talks for a while to have you come on. Um, so before we, to, you know, learn about what what you do exactly uh, and the things that you have done, uh, I want to learn, you know, more about you. What, where did you Where did you grow up? Well, I, I grew up uh, in a few cities. I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and then moved okay. away when my mom remarried. Uh, we went to Houston to Denver and Dallas. And then I went to university in Dallas. And then right when I finished school, school film school, I went to New York and then now I've been in LA for 25 years. Okay. So how, how much would you say altogether did you spend in Texas? Well, I moved, I would say maybe, maybe 14 years, maybe 15 years. Okay. 14, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I just meant to mention to you before, you know, when we started recording that I'm going to a wedding in Corpus Christi. That's where I was born. Oh, wow. You no know? way. <laughs> yeah. So I was born in Corpus Christi, um, lived there for a few years, um, didn't grow up, but spent some time in Fort Worth, Dallas. Oh, sure. Uh, before we relocated to Portland when I was six. And so when, when people, you know, do the thing like, um, so where's your family from? And I, I go, Texas. You know, because yeah. they're not expecting that answer, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I feel I, I still say I still say I'm from Texas, but I grew up in Portland, even though Portland's my hometown now, right? It, yeah, it's just right. that thing. So, I still got a lot of family down there, and um, hoping to reunite at this wedding coming up. So, oh, sure, I'm sure you still yeah, have yeah. a you know, especially with Corpus Christi, I've had the best steak there. It's definitely a, a unique place. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely could tell you could call it home and make it feel like home for sure i often kind of just uh, name drop like you know that's where like selena and eva longoria is from that's right. a lot of beautiful people oh yeah, yeah. that's I, uh, I i name drop the same <laughs> yeah yeah i uh i have some family still in denver and um some cousins they have a restaurant they say aspen but i i feel like it's one of those things that it's a town near aspen and so they just say because it it's the more noticeable one and their restaurant is um I guess to, to to take a word that the kids say, it's pretty popping because, you know, they've had like Kevin Costner and Angelina Jolie stop by. So, so the family's doing pretty well in Colorado. So we have some uh, connections in terms of where, I guess, some family have been. Yeah. Um, growing up, were you always kind of like into movies? Uh, you know, we, we've kind of spoke a little bit. You uh, like, uh, I feel like an affinity for like action movies growing up or was just film something you were interested in? Yeah, you know, now, you know, speaking from a place where I am now as director of photographer, uh, director of photography, which is cinematographer, which is a person that directs the photography uh, for TV and movies. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't know what that position was. 
Um, in the beginning, I would just draw like comic strips and I would come up with characters and draw in frames. And I remember watching, you know, Saturday morning cartoons when they, when they had action figures on there. And, and, and I remember thinking as a kid, like, boy, I want to do that for a living. And I think it was kind of blurry if I wanted to be the kid playing the toys or being the person filming the kid playing with the toys uh, or just, you know, being a kid, just playing with toys, period. But it, but now that I look back, as definitely a, a through line of my experiences with cinema and television. Um, when my parent, my mom and dad divorced pretty early on and I ended up living with my aunts and my, my grandmother. And so definitely one grandmother watched uh, novellas, you know, Mexican novellas. But my other grandmother would watch Abbott and Costello, uh, Jerry Lewis, Dean Martin, Three Stooges, Marx Brothers. Uh, and we would sit down and watch these old movies. And then when my grandma was done, it was Kung Fu. That's what came on, on television. So we'd watch Bruce Lee and all the karate movies and Westerns. Uh, so I felt early, you know, now looking back, I was definitely entering a genre. Um, but even more so, uh, my aunts would take me to the movies and being Latino, Cheech and Chong, I went and saw their movies when I was just in the first grade. So immediately my path for obliterated was already happening. <laughs> so we're like saying, oh my gosh, there's a, you just mentioned Selena and Eva Longoria. Then here I am watching uh, as a, as a, as somebody in first grade, like Cheech and Chong, who, who were basically comic legends. But, you know, beyond that, I think it's such a interesting with the guys with uh, Hayden, uh, John and Josh, um, is that th there is like such common ground for, for, for movies of the eighties, you know, being a kid. Um, and then, you know, later, you know, graduate, you know, through high school uh, so that you get to watch this amazing period of cinema that, that happened. But I think in terms of being a camera cameraman, it really started with my grandfather because when I was at that same grandmother's house, there was one closet and my my grandfather fought in World War II. And when she opened that closet, I was not allowed to go in there. But I remember seeing my grand he, he passed away by before I was born. But he, she would open the closet and I would see the uniform, right? His hat, everything, like just so perfectly there. And she would pull off, pull down a photo album and set it on the on the on the dining room table like it was gold. And I would look at all his war photography. And it's very interesting seeing such a spectacle but such a hardship of truth about the war uh, some of his personal photographs and it was kind of i think there where i kind of came up with the idea of of having a seed planted to be a, a cameraman just didn't really know that that was a job until the eighth grade um so in the eighth grade uh as v vhs tapes and 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 video cameras and and my stepdad giving me a camera because he would he would work in the oil i think by this time we're in houston my mom remarried and moved to houston which is a very very multicultural port city and uh so on my block was all kinds of you know nations people from around the world that lived on that on that street so i'd watch i would watch many different movies but my stepdad gave me a camera and sh and then we, he would do these boring slideshows but it never got boring to when he showed me photographs in saudi arabia or his trips for for work and then i ended up taking a dark room class and photography class and so eighth grade uh during that time um 
cable TV late at night, you would watch TV shows or rated R movies. And then that's kind of really the introduction of genre movies. You'd watch Porky's, you'd watch Animal House, or you watch uh, RoboCop, uh, Rambo. So yeah. you just had, a, a, as you're going through your hormones and 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 just kind of uh, latchkey kid, you're just like the television was becoming uh, kind of my babysitter, so to speak. So it was one movie in particular that really told me what the job was, and that was The Killing Fields. So John Malkovich had a camera. And looking back, I definitely have, I'm bent towards activism and social justice and using the camera for good. But at that time, it was like a job of excitement to be a combat war photographer. Um, but like I said, my my stepdad was renting a video camera. And that's when we would, me and my my friends and my brother would take the video camera and do SNL skits or do break dancing in the, with the camera. So it was kind of, I was getting, I was starting to, to go in that direction. And now that I look back, I was like, oh my gosh, even in elementary, when I had to stop watching TV, I would go in, on the radio program, turn on the radio <clears throat> and then listen to like George Burns and, and Gracie Allen or Dick Tracy. I would listen to the old 1930s radio shows at night and I would fall asleep listening to it. So I had this imagination that I needed story to fit my story and imagination, my mind's eye. So the whole time I felt like I've been cultivating this experience to do camera work where silent radio was kind of like the script in my imagination was kind of seeing the visuals. So, um, but then, so cameraman, and then also I saw the, uh, I was having cereal one day in terms of, of navigating my, my desire to be a war cameraman. I was always going to the video store, taking all the movie posters. My room was covered in movie posters. It was like 25 cents. You just take a movie poster. My entire room was filled with movie posters, but I still didn't think about being a Hollywood cameraman. I just was thinking about photography, shooting my friends and, and running around the neighborhood, taking pictures. <clears throat> Even so much so that on the box of cereal, I remember one time that Rodney Dangerfield had this movie called Back to School. <laughs> and I cut out the, the, the paper and the, the box of cereal I submitted it in and sent it for a free T-shirt. And I remember coming home from school. My mom says, hey, you, you have something from, from Hollywood, Los Angeles. And it was a package. And I remember seeing the studio that, that was the marketing for the movie. And they sent me a T-shirt. So much how like people love Cobra Kai or different National Treasure or different shows. It was like my connection that I really got my first letter from Hollywood. And so I've always was thinking, it was always in the back of my head, but I didn't know it was a job. So eventually my senior year, my teacher told me about that there is a thing to be a cameraman. And to me, it's like the word cameraman is like Superman or Spider-Man, you know? Like if you're a writer, you don't really hear writer-man, but <laughs> cameraman loving comics and, and loving graphic novels and loving the culture uh, uh, of, you know, Superman and Spider-Man, it, it just was really moving me towards uh, film school. And, and and during that time, during film school, it's like Pulp Fiction came out and 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 wow. uh, uh, um, Robert Rodriguez and uh, uh, Slacker. It's like all these, yeah, you know, it, it, and all yeah, that, yeah. in the 90s. So during film school, uh, so so right then and there, I, I changed my plan. I wanted to be a, 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 a filmmaker. 
be a D, to, to be a cinematographer, to do camera work in, in movies. I didn't care what it was. I didn't care if I was like carrying cases and cleaning cases. It didn't matter. Uh, so my junior year, I feel like I'm the luckiest camera person ever because my junior year, while I'm in film school, I go apply for an internship, which ended up being a paid job because I was happy to be on set on, you know, on the stages every day. The movie's called Space Marines. That's the first movie I've ever worked on in the art department. And they end up buying about like, I don't know, maybe five shipping containers from Mexico that were shipped in. And it was from the movie. It was from movie sets from Total Recall that they shot in Mexico. And I just remember that day they, they showed up to the loading dock and we opened it up. And this is like total. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger's set coming to our stages in Dallas. And I was going to the University of North Texas at the time, film school, RTVF. And I just remember going to class and being like, I can't believe I'm working on a movie. It was a B, it was a B rated movie, but it was a uh, space Marines. And uh, if you watch the trailer on YouTube, it's so dated, but from, but from there, it just ended up uh, happening. Like by my senior year, I didn't have to take a uh, film, film production class because I was already working uh, loading, working on music videos, working for Fox Sports as a loader, but still going to film school. And then I, by the time I graduated film school, I already worked on a Hollywood movie, uh, Super Bowl commercials. I was working at a place that rented cameras. So I was already in the mix uh, on production. So my senior year, I didn't pay for any production classes whatsoever. I didn't make any movies because I was already working on movies. And uh, instead, I took genre. Uh, I took classes about genre. Uh, I took Western cinema. I took one semester of Bonnie and Clyde. And all we did for one full semester was talk about that movie by Arthur Penn. Uh, and just really dissected that script, dilate, di dissected how they did research. It was a really, really deep dive. I took Hong Kong cinema. I took um, world cinema. I just took, it was like, heaven get, just going to school every day writing essay after essay i did a ton of writing and i think even now that really looking back that really helped me especially the bonnie and clyde class because it was one movie for a full semester and i was like how much can you write about one movie but if it's a really pivotal movie because it was about the anti-hero and uh and, you, and you're in that journey and following them along and experiencing what they were experiencing in, in the 1930s during the depression and much to, 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 you know, I try to trace how I break down scripts now is I very much do it on that level. I will ask myself questions about back, you know, backstory, whether not just be on the character, but also on the set, or if I'm doing a, a cartel show and, and we're, we're making the set and setting a tone, I'm like going into like, what was the space before and how did it evolve and how did we get to this place? And that's my, very much from do, being, doing research uh, because um, my professor who was really deep diving with us, uh, it wasn't like a very formal processing, but it was chewing very psychoanalysis uh, uh, deconstruction of a movie. And really on the back end, the only thing I do now is on the front end, is really try to build like taking what uh, the writers or the showrunners give me the script. And I really try to break down that script to a full capacity, more than a cinematographer, but basically a filmmaker's approach. And, uh, wow. and then from there, I just graduate film school and I, I got lucky once again, moved to New York city, worked at a camera house and 
met the first cinematographer that I apprenticed under was Ralph Boda, ASC, who shot Saturday Night Fever. And that was the first DP that I came into Hollywood with was a, a legendary cameraman who shot Cole Miner's daughter, Don Juan DeMarco, dressed to kill with De Palma. So I did about three pictures with him. And from then on, it was a continuous apprenticeship of, of many movies that would eventually like having working on comedies and action and so on. Sorry, that's yeah. a long, long-winded, long-winded trail of a timeline, but <laughs> it's it's a great timeline too. Like you know, I'm, I'm imagining of a graph, and you, you know, your trajectory. It seems like you have very little dips. You know, you just you, you said you keep them kept on getting lucky and, and landing these, some of these projects. That's incredible. Like that's that's an incredible timeline and and life that you have lived. Uh, so much to unpack. Like when you mentioned like Cheech and Chong, I was like. Wow, was that my introduction to like Stoner comedies? Because my favorite Chicha Chong movie is the next movie. Mm. And like I often reference the scene where Chong is handing Cheech like the the bottle of urine because he thought it was beer. Yeah. And then later on he's like, Oh, is that Coke? Let me let me smell some of that Coke. And then it's like hand soap. You know, and so it's just they're, they're so funny. And I think that's why I continued on and, and loved like parodies. You know, and, and, and stuff like that. You mentioned Saturday Night Fever. That's a movie when I was young. My dad said this is like this. This was kind of kind of like me growing up. You know, the discos and, right. and the lifestyle. And so I became a huge fan of the Bee Gees that way. So yeah, that was my fully. introduction to to that music. And uh, I think a year or two ago they came out with a documentary, and that's where I learned more about that band. I don't know if you saw right. that called. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Broken Heart. Yeah. Great. So, wow. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, and I love that you did the, the thing with your grandfather, too. That that sounds like a movie in itself, you know. You know, maybe like a grandson didn't know, you know, this much about his grandfather. And then, like, all these images kind of gives you like a, uh, you know, like it's a thing where you could do like a flashback. And, and you know, I, I guess like a, what's that, Ashton Kutcher movie? Uh, Butterfly Effect. You know, you, you look at like a, in an image instead of like a diary and you can go into that picture. That's right. And, you know, like you're that's transported right. there. Yeah. yeah I that's... mean, I mean, you know, it's, it, it goes even deeper because in, you know, I'm a person, you know, I'm Latino and basically everyone still lives in the same neighborhood. You know, you know, my mom moved me away from the neighborhood, but every, you know, my uncles all went to Vietnam. So there's a lot of PTSD. There's a lot of, it's a military town basically with Kelly field. I mean, they even shot the movie Wings there back in the day, a silent movie. Uh, but a lot of my uncles went to Vietnam, had PTSD, and it was very much uh, the only time people in our neighborhood or uh, the Latinos went out of the country was for war. And and I really came to that discovery while I was in college, thinking back like, oh, well, will I ever work overseas, you know, doing camera where my uncles went to fight and it was a very scary situation doing camera is still a scary situation. I mean, I, I work on a lot of documentaries as well. You just mentioned the BG's doc. I've worked on maybe 20 doc documentary movies with, which are, you know, even leading up to obliterated. I've, I've done a lot of helicopter time, uh, even having a dictator's helicopter in Africa for two weeks that he just let us have to go do safari to go film gorillas and, go on expeditions. I've done helicopter expeditions at AK in snow in the South Pacific and, and the Amazon, uh, did done a lot of four by four and, and just 
snow hiking, like just massive, massive documentary uh, expeditions. Um, so even when I saw Obliterate, I was like, oh, here it is. It's finally coming together. I've worked tons around a helicopter. I've worked a lot of combat missions. We had, you know, our desert operation that we did obliterate it. So there's a lot of a lot of ways to move a company. There's a lot of ways technically behind the scenes to to have movement. But I, I just really felt like it was like everything I ever worked on just came together on obliterated. It was just such a unique script when I read it. My agent gave it to me and, and obviously I worked on Cobra Kai season one and I just know the guys are really big dreamers and without having read every single episode, I just knew I was going to fall a fall in love with the characters and and have it being mission oriented i know that i could pull it off you know i was you know working the main camera uh team for spider-man 3 or fast and furious and like it just is so many elements that i was able to pick and pull to make our show you know to to make to help uh execute a lot of the vision that the guys had uh which they were dreaming big and they were dreaming hard and even in the comedy so you know i i felt like uh you know, now even with this interview, looking back and as I'm recalling all this, it just it just felt like it was a, a, an amazing experience to be even stronger. And we haven't, you know, we haven't tapped into what the potential could be for this uh, this team. You know, <laughs> so yeah, hopefully, you right? Know. It, it's uh, it, it's just season one, and we're just learning about the characters uh, and you know features of seasons. We can see like a little bit more backstory uh, on the characters that we love and and what they're actually capable of. Uh, you know, it, this, this is they're 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 performing at like, you know, we would say something like half speed, you know, because they're all drunk and high and stuff too. So like, you know, not drunk and high. Let's see how how they could actually perform. Um, so if you can kind of explain like some of the differences in, in some of these uh, uh the titles, you know, that that you know, common folks like me. So we, we, I, I think the, the com, com, I think. We kind of when we think director, we think what we're seeing on screen. That's what the director is filming. But the director is usually like that's the vision, right? Like um, the director of photography, you're the person behind the lens, right? So so you're taking what the director is envisioning and you're translating it onto screen for us. Is is that correct? Yeah. Well, the guys uh, was set up the um the tone of the script we'll go through the season so in the very beginning we'll we'll set up you know about season one building the obliterated world and you know each director at least you know for our, our, the guys who also direct they give me very specific notes in the beginning about the tone and what they want so they 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 will often you know drop some words that i catch and that I'll help translate and and interpret uh, to either evoke or emote a certain feeling of what the obliterated world is. And the number one word was to feel sexy, right? So that was definitely a key word. And within that sexy world is a lot of combat. So we also want to make them feel tough. And 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 there's a lot of legacy genre movies that have a certain world built in that's already in that we could tap into. Uh, and then on top of it, we have Vegas, right? So Vegas has just a whole bunch of colors and they're wasted, right? Uh, so uh, so I, I just know that there's so many other shows that, I mean, I've never seen Hangover, honestly. I haven't seen that movie, but it's definitely 
so many movies that happened in Vegas, but a lot of my interpretation came from exactly what the guys were saying in terms of, of what to use um, to execute the look of the show and to build the world. So, uh, the, so, so each director has their episode and, you, you know, you have your, your time span of, of how it happens overnight. So you, you begin building the worlds. And to me, there was like the Vegas world. Then you have kind of the agency combat world. And then you have the uh, Russian or the villain world. And for me, this, this, you know, when I first got the script, I was so excited because normally the type of shows that I shoot, the lines are blurred between good and evil or good and bad. You know, the anti-hero um, <laughs> or um, most often I'm filming somebody running from the law. And I'm always like, where are they running to? And why is I'm always shooting people running away? And so for this script, it was very clear of, of the good and the bad, the good guys, bad guys. And that's a, a very much a staple to this type of genre filmmaking, which to me, you know, is I feel like there was no reference for me to go by for obliterated. If I just scan through the different streaming platforms, I couldn't find a place of reference. There, it, it was just too, it was like big anthem comedy big anthem action you know one of the another word they the guys use was spectacle so everything just wanted to feel bigger and it's definitely you know goes into spectacle the things i've worked on like fast and furious and spider-man 3 like just bigger than life Oblivion so, was yeah i worked on oblivion as well exactly which was more almost like helicopter work the type of platforms that we're building also on uh, obliterated so just taking into account everything and coming up. So I just, just decided to build these three worlds. So a, a lot of the combat missions that you'll see, um, you can see some of the highlight that coming from the big kind of a, a kind of a moon blue, but a harder industrial blue feels more metallic uh -huh. that you can kind of see in the eighties. So that gave us a kind of a nostalgic feeling of that big light source that was out that you've seen on RoboCop or you've seen on Die Hard. So Terminator. I looked at, uh, yep, uh, yeah, exactly. So you see that kind of highlight, industrial highlight, whether, you know, when they're landing on the, the helicopter landing pad in Area 52, uh, you see it in the most of the nighttime combat missions. So I took that nostalgic feel and applied it. And, you know, I also did like a history of, of, of knowing what that, what that feel was and that tone, because you, you can kind of see it in some of the B movies. You can kind of see it where some of the guys who were shooting B movies ended up shooting, you know, movies like a, a RoboCop. Like you can trace the, the arc of action when the budget started getting bigger and bigger, just peeling some, a lot of the talent from the B B action movies back in the day. Um, but then, you know, you had sexy feel. So the sexy feel was our team when, when they weren't, when they're in party mode or when they're in casino mode. So Vegas is already telling us what those colors are very warm and gold, uh, beautiful lights. And I really took, I, I really leaned into the, the values of red, white, and blue. I know it's the American colors, but I was really wanting to reserve a space for all the colors of Vegas so I can have some sort of meaningful approach of building these worlds. Whereas the bad guys, the villains, uh, I wanted to create more of, of like uh, the safe house to make it feel um Kind of like they just dropped some coin, got a safe house, and it's just very uniform in the lighting. Like it's just very impersonal. And it didn't, I didn't really want it to have like warmth. 
I wanted to reserve that warmth for the team to feel sexy. And also with the Chad, with the Chad uh, flashback, I really wanted to incorporate a more domestic warmth. So there's a, the, if you take that channel of, of yellow or warmth, there's a different variance because you can make it very industrial, which was the case for the Russians. And you can make it very gold and warm and sexy. Right. And then the, the red, you can use the different reds in the uh, strip club. You can use a red for like alarming when they're in the helicopter, which if the red's always on, it means they're in mission mode. So you're starting to, to build a harmony with the audience to, to, to when they, they feel these colors, at least my approach is, they start feeling these colors that they're getting conditioned to an experience. Because camera work for me and this show, specifically for Obliterated was I wanted the audience, you, first of all, I already knew by working on Cobra Kai, you're going to fall in love with the characters. I fell in love with Johnny. I fell in love with his experience and that's how the guys write. And I knew immediately if I take a blitter, I'm going to fall in love with these characters and we're, and we're going to go on a journey with them. So I was already prepared having worked with them before and knowing that I'm going to fall in love with Maya, McKnight, Ava. And so I really want the camera to, at times to feel closer. Like we're the audience. Like if you get in a roller coaster with someone, which is our show, which is total <laughs> insanity, I want you to be right there next to them. With the you know with the camera, I just wanted the audience to to feel their experiences going through. So then, of course, we have candy corn colors that were very clear what those colors are for that palette, and then that leaves us with the color green. So uh, green's a very interesting approach because also hearing from the guys in their notes, they mentioned how Johnny Lawrence had that a lot of that fluorescent green tone in season one, which okay. which which basically, as you know. Um, Daniel was in the spotlight season one. He's always had the the charm life, the hard work. You know, he was trained proper. And then with Crease and Johnny, Johnny was in the world where where he was not in the spotlight. He's more an industrial, maybe cool, white, kind of like not so flattering light. I think in his office felt very green. It was like a lot of green fluorescence just outside, you know, the uh, bodega. You know, it's like he was out there. So Hayden had mentioned, like, maybe not so much green. Like, you know, he, last time I worked with those Cobra Kai season one, they're like, okay, maybe not so much green. So they immediately told me, you know, green's not a sexy color, period. So I decided to withhold and to have restraint on that that channel because as you're watching TV, there's like so many different color channels. So I put a bit of a restraint. I talked to art department, art director, interior design, wardrobe props. And I said, Hey guys, let's try not to have green whatsoever. And by doing so, what it does, if green happens to show up on set, then it's something special. And that's exactly what happened. The bomb is green. Maybe you could tell me what's oh. green. I think you would know, right? The bomb, yeah, the, the bomb of the gremlin. That's right. And there's also one thing that she throws in the pit. Oh, uh, the, uh, the dildo. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Okay. So, so what ends up happening is that the, the 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 color green every time you see it gives it a pop. So I didn't eliminate green; just totally reduced that color channel. To the, when you see the bomb, it gets heightened. When you see the gremlin, it gets heightened. When you see the the green glow, it gets heightened. And uh, and you know, and ultimately, when Maya falls in the pit, you know, there there's so. You know, it ends up being like where it was meant to be used for something else, but it ended up just being utility. I know there's a lot of jokes going around about body parts, but in the end, for 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 Maya and, and and that specific mission with the scorpions, 
she took something that just ended up becoming utility. It wasn't done for pleasure. It was done for utility. So I found it fascinating that, that, you know, with the green channel, it just became just something that, that, that brought it out to the open. And I'm not too sure, like if you see other green, you could read into it. Many things. I think if, uh, uh, Eugene was wearing green at the end, did he become in part of that world that green engulf him if he was wearing the color green? So there's a lot of meaning that you can do, uh, when you set up certain boundaries and restrictions, but that, 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 that's basically, uh, one part of many of, of it lensing and just creating a look for the show. Yeah. I, I love the green from the Duke. Uh, I, I don't re- remember when you started, uh, when you discovered like my, my, uh, my Instagram account, right. I had a different logo for, for the podcast. And I was like, okay, well, we know it's Vegas. We know military, and so I kind of just like made this uh, like slot machine with like a, like a, a pre-roll joint and, you know, a silhouette of a lady. And, and then when the trailer came out, I was like, oh, my God, look at that bomb. That's it's to me. It was sexy, you know, but maybe that's like the the little 10 years of the army, you know, maybe like, oh, that's that, that looks badass. And so I immediately had to change the logo and, and I uh, kind of made something that looked you know similar to what I was able to see of the bomb in the trailer. Uh, no, but, but I mean, I, but, but, I mean, but you're right. I mean, it, it's alarming because guacamole's green, right? Yeah, so it, yeah. it's kind of a triggering thing. Like it's a, a, a plate, a, something that, that just sends out a signal, you know, where yeah. normally green means go, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot you can read into it, you know, with the scorpions and, and so on. And, and, and even symbolism if, if you want. I mean, you can, but this, this is, this show is just meant to be fun. And, yeah. and just kind of just having a vacation from the day and just to let go and to enjoy and just, you know, watch uh, insanity happen on the screen. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think in terms of legacy and the genre of military, I mean, green and fatigues is a big thing. You, you know, green is, you know, you, you see so much green in, in, in tactical missions. And so for Vegas, I just kind of wanted to have a place of celebration and and that's kind of where where the show starts them celebrating and that and that's what this show meant for me personally because all the other shows i've been shooting which i love uh, everything that i work on to me this was completely a place of celebration i mean even when we scouted i think when we were in the prep process the guys took me to vegas and we scouted vegas i took a ton of reference photos with my with my fujifilm camera and they took me to the, a real life pool party and this happens usually on movies. I, I've done human trafficking movies where the director's like, I want to experience what it's like on a train ride during the routes of being human trafficked and just really deep diving into that, those experiences. I've gotten calls before where they wanted me to do a documentary following people crossing the border and to really experience it with the camera. And that's like a real hard news doc with Al Jazeera. And you know, by then I'm already working on big movies, but it would be very you know experiential. Thankfully, I was uh, got a call to go sh- go to Ibiza with uh, Martin Garrix and Paris Hilton and to shoot uh, a documentary on DJs and later on Paris Hilton. And that that was like my my dream came true to shoot war st- war style correspondence with a camera in documentary world. But I, you know, my. I was shooting um, on the sideline, all this like uh, documentaries were like very hard topics, but I, you know, there comes a time where you want to shoot something where it's like celebrating and, and do something, you know, that kind of eases 
the 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 palette, if you will. It's like you can't shoot the same genre all the time. So, yeah. so I don't know if I made any sense. I kind of derailed, but <laughs> but basically, it took us to took me to a pool party, and even to the point where like, hey, can you get an underwater camera and just kind of test out what it feels like to go underwater. So in a real life pool party, I got a GoPro and just went swimming, just filming all the people's legs and dancing. And we totally had a reference, you know, with the, with the DJs and the smoke machine. So just to kind of build the tone and just, they really wanted to pour into me the the experience of what we're, the story that we're trying to tell. And uh, that's very important because as you know, the guys love music, um, and the music's very much part of, 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 of how they, they incorporate into every episode, as you can see on Cobra Kai. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of already know about the EDM culture cause I shot a doc and I, that's mostly what I listened to all through college and later, late high school. So to me, that was about my shorthand, right? Cause I was already apprenticing with. Ralph, Ralph Bodo shot Saturday Night Fever. So dance has always been a part of the process, but just unique doing the combat missions. So, you know, doing that, that, that all goes into helping build the world, you know, listening to the music, you know, listening to DJ culture as I'm shooting, listen, you know, listening to it while I'm driving and, and just kind of figuring out because the camera it, it helps inform the movement and making it lyrical. And, you know, I mean, come on, Cobra Kai, you know, th- these guys are very intent on uh, building a world and, and serving, you know, all the senses. And so ultimately the look of the show to me in, in the bottom line was I wanted the world to feel delicious, not only sexy, but delicious. So just like candy corns, look, the colors pop, the guys are all high and wasted. So in the show throughout, you'll see the certain orbs and the, and the gold and the reds. And I just wanted all that color to be tasty, delicious. And that was kind of uh, uh, the, the translucence and the, the different layers that I packed into the photography and lighting uh, is kind of the tonally what I wanted to do throughout the whole show. The, the, uh the episode's not out yet, but I had a discussion with uh, uh, Joel about his episodes uh, uh, some time ago, and I believe it was in episode six. I, I had asked him about it, and I believe he said it, it was it was kind of uh, uh, your decision to to do it. But it was I, I believe it, it took place in Area Fifty Two, and I, I had mentioned like, oh, what about the lighting for the doors, like in the background? You know, it looked like kind of like the solar flares and. He said that that wasn't intentional, but but the setup and, and the way it came out, I, I believe he credited you. That I, I wish I had put that out sooner, so that may, maybe it would have been more fresh in my head. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe yeah, like yeah, coming yeah. through the windows of the yeah, doors. Yeah, abs- yeah absolutely. Um, no, everything I do in lighting, like to me, you know, the guys write with tone, so I light with tone. So I will take, you know, I, I for me, it's to modulate truthfulness. You know, it's like like the McKnight scene with his mom, make it very domestic, very warm. Like that, that, that is like dipping into his psychosis, right? The, the connection with, with Rambo and, and to make it feel warm and, and have a place of comfort. And then you just catapult him into the mission. So for area 52, it, I was told that it, it, it was from the guys that you just don't know what's happening. You know, it's like, we, you know, there are aliens back there or like what's happening behind those windows. Are they like, 
doing undercover research or is it like four-headed monsters? Like we don't know what exactly is happening in that secret military base uh, that we clearly say on the show uh, that no one knows about it, you know, when she's doing the interrogation. Like no one's supposed to know, like bad guys are there. So you got to imagine like a comic book world of just, just things of mystery behind those windows and glass and operations. So to me, that was like a very much like a solar flare, but it was also a place to be like, you know, it's just in the agency world, there's like so many lines that are perfect, you know, like in, for me, it was to have a disruption of that place. Like things are just off kilter. And plus the guys are high. It's like when you, if you were high in high school and you had to go to the principal's office, like all of a sudden you're like, Everything around it feels orderly, but something is off. Well, what's that streaming light? So every now, I didn't want to overdo it, but that that was a very hard hit solar flare, that one. But but you will see that periodically. So at the very end of the movie, you see it again, but this time the world is in order. People, they're all dressed, our team is dressed up. They're sexy, the lighting, like everything is in proper order at the end of the movie as they're celebrating and probably getting wasted again, you know? <laughs> so, so it was kind of a through line of like kind of a cotton candy or a Jolly Rancher or like, you know, it's, it's something that was uh, uh, totally intentional. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that's amazing. Right? It, this, this wealth of knowledge and, and like your, um, you know, your use of words too, like how you're just describing, you know, in uh, kind of in, in that world, like describing the, the, the perfect lines and needing to disrupt that. Oh, yeah, yeah. this is this, well, this is why I love, you know, speaking with, um you know, people involved with, with these shows because it, it's, it's kind of, this is my like film school, you know, like I, I wanted to do stuff like this, you know, I uh, had kids at a very, very young age. And I know people are often saying, well, you can always go back, you know, or just that and the other thing, but like, I um this 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 is what I do, you know. I I I'm a dad. I'm a mail carrier, and, and I'm I'm a podcaster. Um, and so like, I I feel these discussions is kind of like bringing the audience closer to the shows that they love as well. And but uh, along the way, you know, learning your guys' stories, but also kind of hearing how the magic is made. So that's just the stuff that I need up. No, yeah, you know, I I you know, we just came through a long strike. And if we can yeah. ground this for a second, there is nothing more important uh, to my identity. Like I am a, a father first, you know, I'm a dad, right? Like that is my main identity, you know, or, you know, husband, son, like these are the things that are truly my identity. Like being a director of photography is, is uh, I feel blessed. I get to play and have fun. And that is not my identity. Like you, you can go on strike. I'm still shooting. Like the camera doesn't stop the exploration. So it is that point of view as a father where you unpack story, right? With Ava and Chad and Eugene. And you really have a, have, you know, the team's chemistry is so strong. I've, I, I've never been on a show. I mean, I've done rehearsals before on a show, but to me, uh, before we started, we we rented a gymnasium and we marked the floors in different areas, like a bar and a couch and chairs. And it's the first time the entire team was together and the guys really rallied for a rehearsal. And it's a rehearsal with no cameras. I set up a couple of lights. It's kind of like doing theater. It's 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 distilled of cameras. It's distilled of cranes and helicopters. It's really just checking 
uh, I don't even think they even use these words, but it probably is. But for me, what it meant for me was like checking the chemistry between the team. And that's to me when it really had connective tissue to see how well our cast just hit it off from, from the get, like the total chemistry. And that's when it really got real for me is to be like, I'm a man, not without a camera. I'm here to see story. I'm here to see the chemistry of people who are going to put themselves through a very rigorous schedule, doing hard demands day in, day out. And they held all the way to the end, this, the bravado and the tenacity and the strength that they use. Of course, we have support with the stunt team. Of course, they're supported with safety. Of course, it's supported all that. But it's very, very, I've never been on a show where I've seen the cast work so hard and choreography work so hard. And, you know, I've done a cartel show before where we're doing car chase. Usually when you get an episode of television and there's like maybe a couple of stunt sequences and you're building your entire energy to make sure that these stunt sequences are going going well and smooth and safe. And but the thing about obliterated is that, you know, on the other shows, on the other shows, if you're talking, if you're doing a living room scene or a bar scene, it's basically talking heads with obliterated every day was Mount Everest. It was like Haggerty at the club with his face landing in, in, in the butt or the, the torture scene. Like every day was at Mount Everest for a scene that would typically be just skate through. So whether it was action or even what would consider a domestic scene or a scene that with people talking, even those days were very challenging that our team had to do. So from the beginning, seeing the chemistry between the guys really, really um, motivated me to know that the audience has to feel experiential like that, that point of view for every scene, because as you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, here's this, this scene's honing in on Maya at this part or Eugene and Eugene with the fatherhood, uh, you know, looking at that and his sacrifice and his willingness to derail himself, not, not being willing to do it in, in many ways with, with his experience. But even when, when it came time for him to be the sacrificial lamb, when you look at that space, that was Maya's command center, when things were restored for her, but things were off, they were off uh, for young. And if you look at one shot, there's a piece of red that, you know, it's a very, it's a very like cool and blue techie uh, command center. But just as you're looking at the shot, there's a, a, piece of red that is glowing from one of the the uh, hard drive main drive servers and that red is casting onto uh young and you can feel a little piece of red and that's the same red that he can't escape from his helicopter on the mission mm -hmm. like he's constantly thrown so it's these kind of like scene by scene is to build into story and to reinforce those color tones that kind of reach into it so it shows the intensity of his character. It just gives a little sense of urgency. Red can be passion, red can be emergency. So it's just really knowing when to use certain types of red within it. And, you know, obviously the club was more candy red and passion and, and so on. When um, you're talking about like these colors and like immediately I start thinking about filters and stuff. Uh, you as a DP, when you're like on social media and stuff and you see screenshots that people are sharing, things that you've sh shot, uh, how do you feel when people like uh, alter the, the 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 colors and using filters and such? Well, for me, um, you mean in, in terms of of taking the pictures from the show, or taking or just or period yeah. of, of of the work that I do. 
so so the uh, so screenshots of the show that we see uh, on on TV, right? Like uh, th- there might be something shared online, and somebody you know, shares that image. It's like, oh, this is the show I'm watching. But then that that person may be like, well, you know, it's a little dark. I'm going to lighten it up, and you know, I'm going to add this filter and make the green pop more, or make it more warm, or you know, things of that nature. Well, just just altering what what you had envisioned, you know? Right? No, no, uh, yeah. I I don't. I mean, I prefer not. Uh, but I understand. Like uh, nowadays, many people are, are getting used to filters and changing, uh, using apps, changing color. But for me, that's exactly what my job is. Is a director of photography. They 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 bring you in to help interpret the vision of what the writers and show creators want. So it's kind of like how you you prep, then you buy the roll of film. Then you go out and shoot and you're lighting and you're executing. You're trying to hone in on something. And then when you're done and final the episode, then you're developing the look uh, even more. You're doing fixes and, and you're, you're, you're creating the recipe of what you envision that you set up on set. So it's a very hands-on process, much like a director gets their director's editorial cut. As a, I'm also a director, but of the photography. So I come in and develop the final color uh and then i just kind of they get they get my intent uh naturally it goes through a pipeline that's digital and it might come out brighter or darker and that is an issue because it goes into too many platforms on the phone and and so on and people take photographs of the screen and then they darken it black and uh that is unfortunate but it's just a um it is just a symptom of where we're at today uh, so I really try to hone in on what the Netflix pipeline is. I've been shooting for Netflix uh, mostly these days, and you're just trying to get get you know technology keeps changing, and and uh, there's you know different ways. I'm just look, I'm just happy people love the show, and so in the end, you just gotta let it go and let people share and 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 have a heart for it. So I'm totally fine with it now. But yeah, I think initially I'm I'm just looking at exactly what I get paid to do is build a world, prep it, process it, develop it. Right. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, as we get ready to wrap up, I have a couple more questions here. What is uh, what is an example, or maybe you have one in mind, but what's a dream project for you? Whether it's something that you're going to direct yourself or like, I don't know if you write, you know, like write, uh, scripts, uh, documentaries. What is something that that's like on your bucket list perhaps, or just, the, the thing that you've been putting off to the side but cannot wait to to get behind on yourself well that, i mean that's the beauty of of camera uh is that you know i think a producer once i was working on the olympics up in the french alps and uh we just narrowly escaped a helicopter crash and uh it crashed the next day wasn't it with our team the same helicopter but we were almost going to crash ourselves in this helicopter and i remember we climbed the highest point that was between France and Italy for the, uh, the Olympics in Italy. And I carried this huge film camera back, you know, most of my assistant career has been in film and we just carried all this gear on the highest point. And we just, you know what, we were tired. So we set the camera down and that specific producer from NBC sports uh, Olympics was like telling us how, you know, the key to life is that there are, there is no key. And that really struck a chord with me is that cam, you know, when I have a camera, the door is just continually open and I get to play in a different world every year. 
and definitely obliterated just like Chad McKnight had a bucket list. I think I hit everything on the bucket list with just one season of obliterated elevator shafts, uh, car chases in Vegas. Like we hit so many bucket lists in terms of action, big action anthems. Um, But I think my heart is definitely gravitates toward uh, having the camera do good in terms of activism, social awareness, um, bent on social justice. Uh, I think that's, you know, goes back to my uncles with PTSD and and just kind of having a point of view. Like I mentioned, like, where are they running? Why are they running from the law? What's the story? What's their background? I worked on uh, Fast and Furious where Paul Walker was, you know, I was, you know, working on a main camera team, which we did about four days of, of Paul Walker chasing a gangbanger. And right to the very end, I said, you know, work four days with somebody and like you're talking to a gangbanger who's a real gangbanger. And I said, do you know why they're chasing you? He's like, no, man, I'm just running. And I I said, someday you and me are going to make a story. We're going to find out why you're running. And, and, uh, and then we did the same Paul Walker goes, chases him, jumps through the window and they come down smashing on the car. And I never saw that gangbanger again, but I just remember thinking like, what would it be like to just, and I kind of did, we did it on 61st street for AMC. I worked on like, why are you running and having that experience? But as a person of color and Latino, uh, there's, there's certain stories that I want to tell with, with boxing. I think I have a boxing movie coming uh, around the corner and which led me, one of the reasons why I took Cobra Kai is to make better hand to hand combat. And we have a ton of tournaments on Cobra Kai. It's going to be amazing. And uh, I really wanted to grow that muscle and I only grow it for myself, but I grow it for the guys because they're dreamers. And and every time I'm in the car with them or a scout van, they're just dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. So I'm addicted to shooting and they're dreamers and they're like, we're, we're the perfect pair. Um, so the type of stories I love are immigrant stories, displaced people. Cause as I said, the camera person that such as myself and my family were displaced. I go job to job to job. I've been to over 60 countries so for me, I, I wanted to tell a story that moves people and I want to tell stories that can make change because in the end, it's, it's like the en- enemy to distill it all is poverty. You know, it's just like we don't ha- have enough. So let's take. And, and these are the type of stories that I look into, uh, you know, what's around the corner. So for me, I'm very excited to share this journey. I'm excited for Cobra Kai. And I think really when I met the guys, um, it was very pivotal for me in many ways because they lean into nostalgic to the things, you know, with Karate Kid. And my mom was a single mom and LaRusso, you know, in the beginning of the movie, just his mom and, and a bike. And for many years I was with a single mom and even moving into like a neighborhood that wasn't so welcoming and, maybe bullies and whatnot. So it really had resonance with me. And so when I came back, when I came out to Cobra Kai season one, I remember two things. One, I couldn't believe in my frame that I had Johnny and Daniel in the same shot. And I felt a little tear come down my eye. Like, is this real? I've never cried that. I usually cry because of the acting and the scenes, but I cried because I couldn't believe me as a kid was in this space. Like the guys created an oven for me to be, to be at the table. And speaking of being at the table, it was also the same thing for Miguel. It was the first time shooting a Latino house where he wasn't running from the law. 
And they weren't putting hot sauce in the frame to make it feel more Latino. And it was very much a very pivotal moment for me to be like, I like this place. I like the stories we're telling here to empower somebody, not only, you know, not, not only for the actor, the Latino actors, but we're here to share in their journey. And that's the type of world that is very inviting that the guys build with the team, all everyone, all their team, all their writers, the writer's room, Dina, the editors. It is just a melting pot of story. So that's where I try to find a home to people who want to have that outlook. And so if you can see for obliterated, our cast is a melting pot. And what you think is on the cover of the book is not the case. We, we can dive in more. We can explore more. And that's, that's to me is, is, it's more so just what type of film it's also the people you do it with. And that's the best way I could explain it. Yeah. And you know, we, you, you keep kind of sprinkling in Cobra Kai. I just love how that series is going to bookend with your work, you know, you, you, USDP, right? Like just season one and season six. And so, yeah. yeah. Season, well, season one, just, just for clarity, I, w- I wasn't the main director of photography. I was B camera right. operator and I was second unit DP. So I did shoot with the guys. I mean, I shot all the, the golf and stuff date on season one, where it's like all yeah, those colors, yeah, 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 all the, all the colors. And I shot the Johnny Lawrence flashback when he puts the cassette tape and the, uh, yeah. Puts the six. headphones on and he rides the bike. Uh, I shot all that. I shot the, you know, the intro to the final match where they're the, doing the cotton candy and people were getting in line, the t-shirts oh, okay. and they're getting all that. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so it yeah. shot a ton of scenes season one, but I was a camera operator, but yeah, it was, it was definitely uh, a game changer in terms of the work that I've been working on. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how, how does somebody uh, like a, like a DP, because uh, like, how do you get one-offs versus, like, being tasked with, like, an entire season as director of photography? You know, like, uh, just, yeah. just to well, do, like, like, one episode of a show or something. Well, like, for SEAL Team, I shot an episode of SEAL Team. So that director of photography was directing. So I came in as a guest DP, shot an episode of SEAL Team. And then some shows have rotating uh, director of photographies. So, like, huh. Cobra Kai season, season six. We'll have two DPs that rotate. And then for Obliterated, I knew I wanted it all. I wanted every episode. Uh, I felt it would have hurt the show if we had rotating DP uh, cinematographers. If we had rotating, uh, I felt like we had, because if you take certain scenes, they're like, can happen in four different spots. The helicopter could be outside on, on a bit, huge platform. The helicopter could be cheated in the parking lot. The helicopter, we do air to air. We do blue screen. So it could all be the same story. So you have to connect the dots. If you have a rotating cinematographer, then it, it's like, what did he do? What did he or she do? You know, uh, did she do this uh, specific type of lighting value? So I felt to have it really concentrated. I knew my skill set was built for it. It was very demanding, but I felt like I kind of knew we had a missing piece with the bullet that we owed, you know, uh, uh, back in Vegas and all these certain strips of scenes that were left on my, you have to think of it in puzzle pieces. So, right. you, you know, who has this puzzle piece? So I just felt like I needed a table where I had all the puzzle pieces out to make sure that we weren't missing anything along with the ADs and everyone that were building the schedule. So, uh-huh. so for me, 
in that case, I, I want it to shoot every episode. Um, but sometimes people, you know, are addicted to, to new shows and new genres and, and, and I'm addicted to shooting. And, and if you see, you know, before this, I was uh, shooting national treasure for Disney plus and cause I like treasure hunting and I like being displaced and, you know, <laughs> it was yeah. like a fun genre show to shoot. So that year was spectacular with national treasure and obliterated. So it just yeah. very, really varies, you know, I wow. mean, if you, but if you look at, but if you look at uh, the trajectory of cinematographers and directors of photography, um, you can have like a camera operator that was operating on Jaws on a Spielberg and then have that same camera operator become a director of photography on Raging Bull. You know, you can, that, that's kind of what, what happens in the industry is you, you can be operating on, on one show and then the, the, the writers or the team have a relationship with you and then they, they, they bring you over to another show in a different category, you know, so wow. It's definitely a, a pathway from camera operator to cinematographer. And that's usually what happens if you trace all these different movies. That's what, what happens. I, I would watch a documentary just about your life, you know, and, and, and the, the things you've done. 60 countries, that's amazing. I, I could probably count how many countries I've been to in two, on two hands. Maybe one, you know. Uh, Abe, thank you so much for, for giving me your time. Uh, where can people follow you if they want to see some of the things that you you post if you're willing to share that oh absolutely i'm on instagram mostly uh which is very you know photography you know for my photographs and the looks it's a a b e dot martinez dot dp that's abe dot martinez dot dp for director of photography uh that's mostly where where i post yeah yeah now, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for, for future stuff. Uh, at this point, we haven't heard anything about uh, season two for Obliterated. Nothing official anyway. Well, I could, I, I mean, I could tell you, I still have a lot of skill set left. I've got <laughs> snow. <laughs> I've got water, boat work. I know how to do all that stuff. So I, I hope uh, to be a part of it. I continue to be a part of it. So it would be very exciting if and when it happens. This has been a production of the Companion Network.